Hey guys, it's Allie. Welcome back to Infertile AF, the podcast. This is episode 163 called Danny Wade. Today's episode is sponsored by Pre-Mama Wellness. Pre-Mama creates doctor-backed supplements that support every stage of your maternity wellness journey. Pre-Mama Fertility Support for Her is the number one selling over-the-counter fertility supplement for women trying to conceive. All Pre-Mama supplements are gluten-free, non-GMO, vegan or vegetarian with no additives and no synthetic flavors. Discover why moms and dads-to-be trust Pre-Mama Wellness for their nutritional support from preconception to postpartum by visiting premamawellness.com. You can get your first month supply free when you subscribe to any Pre-Mama product for a limited time. Check it out at premamawellness.com. Today's episode is sponsored by Mira. If you're trying to conceive, listen up. According to Mira, you can get pregnant faster by tracking your ovulation and hormones using the Mira Fertility Tracker. Mira is a super cute palm-sized device that measures your actual hormone concentrations with 99% lab-grade accuracy. With Mira, you don't have to go to the clinic to get expensive or painful tests to know when you're ovulating, and you don't have to rely on traditional OPKs that don't always give you your accurate readings. Instead, you can test with your urine samples in the comfort of your own home. Mira is great because even if you have irregular cycles, PCOS, or hormone imbalances, it'll still accurately predict your ovulation and six-day fertility window. For now, Mira measures your LH, estrogen, and progesterone hormones and syncs your readings to the app in easy-to-understand charts. But Mira is designed to be expandable, which means it will support more hormone readings in the future, which you'll be able to test using the same analyzer. Get pregnant quicker, forget the guesswork, and maintain your fertility health with Mira. Order the Mira Starter Kit or the Mira Plus Bundle online at miracare.com, that's M-I-R-A-C-A-R-E.com, and use promo code ALI, A-L-I, to get 10% off. Again, it's miracare.com, promo code ALI. Thanks, Mira. All right, guys. So today I am talking to Danny Wade, who is a Colorado lifestyle blogger who you might know from Instagram as DW Bella. She's got tons of followers, 90,000 plus to be exact. And today she's going to tell us about the four years that she has been trying to conceive. So she's still in the midst of her infertility journey. She empowers women to thrive during infertility. She does really great posts on her Instagram, but today we're going to get into all the details of her journey, including all the hormone fluctuations that you go through when you're on all the meds, failed IUIs, the whole heartbreak of the process, having really tough conversations with your partner, and then asking those questions like, how much are we willing to put into this process? and also the importance of taking a break. So like I said, she is still in the midst of her journey and she's going to tell us all about it. Without further ado, this is Danny's infertility story. So Danny, it's so good to talk to you. I've been following your Instagram for a long time, but we've never really chatted. So thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to chat with you. Yeah, same. So your Instagram is huge and you know, you talk, you're very open about a lot of different aspects of your life. You really help women a lot thrive during infertility, you say, and you have a you know journey of your own. So tell me about where it all started with you. When did you start to try to have babies and what happened? Yeah. So my husband and I talked about it ahead of time before we got married of like kind of what our timeline was. And, you know, it's kind of the typical conversation about like, what all do we want to achieve as a married couple before we introduce children into the mix? Mm -hmm. And um, as we entered 2018, we had been married two years and we're like, okay, we think we're at a good point. Like we want to start trying. Um, so in the summer of 2018, I um, actively stopped my birth control. Mm-hmm. I had already done a little bit of pre, um, pre-pregnancy planning with a previous primary care doctor I had. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I had to establish new care with a new OB-GYN 
um, because we were new to Colorado. Mm-hmm. And I remember the the main thing she really emphasized was don't stop your birth control until you are okay with the idea of getting pregnant the next day. Really? She said that. Uh-huh. She's oh, like, wow. as soon as you stop your, your birth control, you could get pregnant the next day. What? <laughs> I know. <laughs> Were you like, can I see your medical license, please? That sounds crazy. Well, and in my naive mind of like being so excited to get pregnant and thinking there's nothing wrong with me, so I should be able to get pregnant. I was like, took that to heart. I was like, wow, I haven't heard that type of advice before. So, you know, like we're going to be very intentional. Like I'm going to stop right when we know we want to start trying. Mm-hmm. So I stopped my birth control July of 2018. So we actively start trying in August of 2018. That was our uh, wedding anniversary. We were like, mm-hmm. oh, how cool would it be if like we got pregnant like that first cycle? Right. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> right. It always works out as planned, right? I mean, they say it's that easy in all the sex ed books. So, totally. <laughs> right. Exactly. But then, you know, a few months go by and I'm like, wow, this is weird. We're not pregnant. Like, I thought I could get pregnant right away. Mm-hmm. And of course, your cycles are resetting. So, it's like, I have no idea what my cycle is like off of birth control for a consistent amount of time because I've been on birth control since I was like 18. Yeah. I was just going to ask you how long were you on it? Because I think so many women are just on it for years and years and years and years and years. I was on it from like 15 to mid 30s. Right. I only took small breaks you know, maybe when I was upset about the way my body was responding to one birth control, then I'd go to the doctor and ask for a different one. And so, you know, maybe I was off maybe a one or two months at a time ever mm-hmm. um, in that in that span of time. And yeah, I really didn't think it was a problem. And then of course I started reading, right? Because I'm like, okay, we're three months in. Most of my friends have been pregnant like way quicker I should just kind of do some research. So I was like, okay, I'll download a tracker, a period tracker. Mm-hmm. And then um, I was reading there like, oh, it takes a while for your body to adjust to not being on birth control anymore. So I was like, maybe my body needs a few more months for the birth control to kind of cleanse out. Right. And now we get to the six month mark and I'm like, wow, what is happening? How are we not getting pregnant? Um, and then I started doing more research and they say, you know, you're not considered to have an issue under the age of 35, unless it's been a year that you've been trying. Right. So we just kept trying. How, and how were you doing, Danny? Like emotionally, were you like kind of freaking out? What was going on with oh, your yeah. marriage? Cause as so many people know, this takes such a toll, right? Yeah. I mean, for us, it was still fun at that stage to, mm-hmm. you know, be trying naturally. Um, you know, when I started tracking my ovulation, we had no problem kind of adjusting to ensure that at least we were including those days mm-hmm. in our our fun. And, you know, it, it wasn't a big deal for us to make sure we had sex on certain days in addition to what we were already doing in our sex lives. Right. Because mm-hmm. at the beginning, again, like you're just like, whatever, no big deal. You just get to do what you got to do. Right. But when my period would come, especially when it, because it wasn't consistent in when it would arrive, I, every month thought I was pregnant. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Every single month was like, this is month we're pregnant. We're pregnant. Oh, I have God. these weird symptoms. Like I'm, I'm feeling this way. I'm feeling that way. And like, I, again, because I had not been off of birth control, like I was used to everything being very controlled while on birth control. I barely had cramps. I bled for four to five days consistently every period. You know, I, I always knew what to expect. And this being off of birth control and my periods being out of whack, I thought every symptom aligned with being pregnant every mm-hmm. single cycle. Right. So you're like getting your hopes up, right? Every time. Yeah. And then my period would come and it would come hard and it'd be like when I'm at work and I wasn't expecting it. And I went to work that morning optimistic, like, Ooh, like my period's a day late. Like I'm going to be pregnant. Right. Oh, terrible. Totally. So when we got to that one year mark, that's when, um, I immediately got in with a new OB guide. And I set an appointment. I knew like it was coming up and luckily I got in pretty quickly. So it was literally like just over the one year mark of us actively trying that I got in with her. Mm-hmm. And that's when we started really having those conversations of like, what could actually be going on? Right, right, right. 
So what were they saying? Like, what, what did they think was going on with you? Did they have any idea? First of all, let me tell you, she was awesome. I wish I could have gone to her longer, but I had to switch insurances soon after. But she was amazing because she straight up was like, uh-uh, we're not playing this. It's been a year. You are, I think at the time I was 33. And she was like, we don't have time to waste. We're going to put you on um, Clomid to make sure you're ovulating. Because she was Uh like, have you taken ovulation tests? And I was like, yeah. And they're showing that I'm peaking and I've been doing the body temperature. I've been doing all these different things and keeping track. She's like, yeah, we're not waiting around. You've wasted enough time trying to figure this out. We're going to do your labs. Um, We're going to make sure like your thyroid's okay. We're going to check your AMH. Um, And she's like, we'll get you on a medication if you're okay with it to just make sure like on time, you're going to ovulate. And she's like, we'll, we'll, you know, check your labs again afterwards to make sure that it's working. Okay. So we did that for three cycles. And I, again, thought I was pregnant a couple of those times. And in between time was losing my mind on that medication because Clomid, my body did not respond well to it. Well, my mind didn't respond well to it really. Like I had very high and very low um, emotional liability when I was on that medication. And I would like one moment feel calm, the next be like raging and bubbling up on the inside with like very little trigger. Uh-huh. And then I'd have moments where I would be bawling. I'd be in the car on my way to work and I'd hear a song that's like a happy dance song, right. which is my favorite music to listen to in a commute. And I'd be crying. Yeah. Oh God. The hormones are crazy. I know. It's so, it's so hard to manage all that. It was a lot. And that's when I actually started talking about it a little bit more with people around me, my coworkers, because they were my friends. They were my Mm -hmm. actual friends. And I was like, listen, guys, I know this is, I'm not acting normal. And here's a little insight into why. Mm -hmm. And I just need you guys to like, hug me sometimes, sometimes not be around me (laughs) so that I can like breathe. And uh, yeah, I kept getting negative pregnancy tests each time. And again, my period wasn't starting at the same exact age time. And I'll say I have normal, I'm considered normal with my periods. Uh They usually, I'm usually a 26 to 30 day cycle since being off birth control. So that's still within the normal window. So that wasn't an indication of anything being wrong with my ability to get pregnant. When she did my labs, everything was fine. Um, but after the third failed cycle, I called her bawling and mm-hmm. she was on the phone with me for like 20 minutes. And it's crazy because I was at an influencer retreat mm-hmm. and I had to step out because I was waiting for her call back. And I just started bawling on the phone oh. with her. I was like, I'm just so frustrated. I don't know what else to do. This is not working. I seriously thought I was pregnant and my period just started. And you know, she counseled me and was like, you know, I keep telling you it's up to you, but if you're ready, I can make the recommendation to a fertility clinic. Like mm-hmm. that's to me the next step. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, let's do it. Like I, we're ready. Like, and she was like, in the meantime, cause it usually takes about a month to get in. We'll keep you on the Clomid just in case you get pregnant. She's like, best case scenario, you get pregnant. You don't even have to go to the consult. Right. So that was in the fall, early winter of 2019. Uh-huh. And then that's uh we got into that fertility clinic that December for our okay. first consult. Uh-huh. And did the initial labs all over again and it's crazy how much changed in 4 months that my thyroid was out of whack and my vitamin D was low. Oh wow, yeah, okay. And that's when I first learned how much of an impact that can have on your fertility and your right. ability to, you know, get pregnant. So, um, and of course they also explained the range that they're looking for with those labs is different than your OB guide is going to look for. Cause what's Mm -hmm. considered normal medically is not necessarily what's considered normal when it comes to your fertility. Right. Yes, exactly. So did it feel good to like have some sort of news at least, and kind of like a semblance of a plan? Like if we do X, Y, and Z, maybe I'll get back on track. How did mm-hmm. that like initial consult make you feel? It it made me feel hopeful. And that's right. the weird thing though, is like every time I found out something, I was like, oh, it's a little something. So that's mm-hmm. gotta be it, right? That's gonna fix it. Like when she was like, maybe you're not ovulating. 
take these ovulation tests and take the home in. I was like, boom, that's going to be fixed. Well, right. I didn't fix it. Right. Right. And it was like, okay, you need to get your thyroid and your um, vitamin D up. Let's get you on this medication and do another lab. And I think they said like three or four weeks. And I was like, okay, did it. I thought uh-huh. I was going to be pregnant right away. Right. Nope. And then they gave us the information about IUI versus IVF. And they're like, listen, you're in the unexplained infertility category. My husband's analysis was normal. Uh-huh. My analysis was normal. Besides those two labs, which they said, even that shouldn't be significant enough to keep us from getting pregnant. They could not figure it out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, ultrasounds, normal, right? Like, And how old were you at this time? So when we went in for that first consult, I had just had my birthday. So I was 33. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Because I was 32 when I went to the OB-GYN, 33 by the time we started fertility treatment, uh-huh. went straight into IUI. Uh-huh. Our first IUI, I swore I was pregnant. Right. <laughs> I know. You Like you said, you get so hopeful, right? And you're like, oh, how is this not going to work? It's going to work. Like, I easy peasy. all the symptoms that they say you mm-hmm. get in that two-week wait. And uh, also... I, I talk about this more and more recently since even starting IVF that the pain level they tell you, you may experience in something does not match my actual experience. Mm. So I want to say when they say an IUI is pretty painless, you might feel a little cramping. Some people say it's like a bad period cramp quotations. Um, no, my pain was so bad. I felt the pain during the process, oh. but afterwards, probably within 30 to 45 minutes, because we would go to IHOP afterwards to eat breakfast after each mm-hmm. IUI. <laughs> You're like, IUI <laughs> and then IHOP. <laughs> yes. I need a really good meal to soothe Perfect. my soul and you know, yes. settle in to rest. I would be in the booth, like Double bent dose. over, yeah. cramping, pain. I would have pain the rest of the day and night. Um, and I would be couch bound. Uh-huh. And it happened after both my IUIs. So we had two IUIs back to back, one in oh, January. I'm so sorry. Failed negative pregnancy tests on Valentine's Day. Oh, yeah. And then we were so sure it was going to work. Because again, when you're unexplained infertility, you're like, IUIs have got to work. Like you're just gonna do it. So right. we did another cycle, and then that one failed in uh-huh. mid-March. Uh-huh. And, and then COVID you- hit. Oh gosh. Okay. Wait, before we get into that, which is like when the world <laughs> shuts down, did you have like a support system or like, what were you, how were you getting through this? Did you have any friends who were going through infertility? Had you joined like the Instagram infertility community or were you like talking about it on social or what did that look like for you? So once we got in with fertility clinic and started IUI is when I started talking about infertility on my Instagram. Mm -hmm. I had been talking about it with a few friends locally. None of them had experienced what I was going through. But when I started talking about on Instagram, that's when I found there was a whole community Mm -hmm. of people in that space that were already talking about it, that were open to discussing it, that were telling their stories um, that were able to provide like that virtual support. And it kind of opened my eyes to a whole different kind of community that I'd never known about and never would have thought to, to like open up to. Right. Um, so yeah, that was the beginning of 2020 that I started talking about it on my page because what was happening, especially while I was on Clomid is I was bubbling up so much and I was crying so much at work and having a hard time talking about it with those people that one of my friends looked at me one day and she's like, you're a blogger. Mm. Are you blogging about this? Right. And I was like, no, it was like, ding, 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 right. Did it never occur to you or did it just seem so like church and state? Like you're like, I don't, Cause you're like a lifestyle blogger. Right. So this wasn't yeah. necessarily and before that it wasn't even really lifestyle at that point. I think I was still mainly doing fashion and beauty. Mm-hmm. Okay. Got it. I hadn't even really tapped too much into the other things that I started doing, which was, you know, travel and mm-hmm. local restaurants. And I hadn't, I don't think I had even really tapped as much into that at that point. 
So when she said that, I was like, huh? I don't know. Mm-hmm. And you think to yourself, like, is there anybody else who even cares that you're struggling with again? All you're seeing when you're scrolling Instagram is pregnancy announcements. <laughs> I know it's the worst. It's so <laughs> triggering. Yes. Yeah. So that's why I was like, I hadn't thought about it. When she said that, I was like, no, I was literally crying. I was like, no, but that makes sense. She was like, I really think you should. She's like, not only will it be an outlet for you, but she's like, I think people need to hear about this experience. And there's probably people who are, can relate to this. Uh I was like, you're right. So soon after that, I, I posted about it. Yeah. And what Um, was the response? What did you post? And what was the response? I'm trying to remember what that first post was. I can't remember. I I remember the first few I did Mm -hmm. and I know it was about IUI. Mm -hmm. And I know I remember posting my negative pregnancy test with the date on it and kind of telling the story about how we kind of got started into that and what led to the negative test. And then I remember posting a very vulnerable photo of me sobbing Mm -hmm. in front of the shower Mm-hmm. And talking about the heartbreak of this process. And I remember that one really touched a lot of people. I got a lot of responses to that. Mm-hmm. Um, some I didn't appreciate because some people start sharing my stuff without asking. That's really when I started getting into like recognizing that there are people who will try to profit off of your pain and your right. vulnerability. Yes. Have and you run I, into I, that a bunch as you've gone uh-huh. on? Really? I sure have. Yeah. I mean, I've gotten into some pretty intense DM situations with Mm -hmm. some of these pages about using my intellectual property without my permission, Mm -hmm. especially ones where I'm being very vulnerable and it's very personal. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's amazing the excuses people make about how they feel entitled to your work because you put your work out there and that's not how it works. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's such an interesting thing that, you know, to talk about, and thank you for talking about that as you get bigger and bigger in this space and have a larger platform and a larger voice. So it's interesting to see that you've been running into that. Oh yeah. It was pretty early on. And I remember being very upset and having a conversation about it on my stories and messaging with a few other women from the the, uh, infertility community that, you know, were giving me some feedback too, of like how they felt about it too. And some Uh tips about what I could do to Uh prevent that. Um, so that was super helpful, but yeah, so that's kind of how it started. And then it became one of those things where I found more and more pages so that I'm following them. You know, they're following me. We're Mm -hmm. DMing each other. We're commenting on Joe's posts. We're learning. I'm learning more and more from them of like questions to ask, um, to ask labs to, to consider, you know, little tips on like what to do in daily life to alleviate some of the stress of this conversations to have with your spouse during the process. Right. Cause like, it's all, it was all brand new to me. Yeah. Let's talk about that a little bit, Danny. What's, what were some of the conversations that you guys were having and like the tough moments that, you know, your relationship went through, you know, I've been very vocal about how my marriage was really put to the test, like during our infertility stuff. And, you know, it's so, it's just so hard, especially if everybody's not on the same page and wanting the same things and on the same timeline and people grieve differently, you know, all of that. Yeah. I, it really forced us to talk about things we probably never would have thought, talked about if we had just gotten pregnant on our own, like right away. Mm-hmm. Um, I know early on our talks were like, uh, no, we will never need to get treatment, right? Like it just was like an absolute. When I started looking at like fertility stuff, just to like because I was curious, we were like, oh no, we're not gonna need IVF. Oh no, uh-huh. IUIs, you know, we're like, we're gonna get pregnant naturally. We don't have to worry about this. Right. Neither one of us have a family history of issues getting pregnant. Like, this is not a problem. This is not something we're gonna deal with. Then it was um, okay, if we do this, what are we willing to try? Uh And how far are we willing to try it? You know, how much financially are we willing to put into this process? How do we feel about the idea of needing help, medical help Mm -hmm. to do this? How many children do we want to have? What if we're unable to get pregnant? Um, 
or unable to have children, what do we, you know, how do we feel about the idea of adoption? How do we feel about, and and that was before I even learned about donor eggs and, um, you know, embryo donations and all the other options Mm -hmm. for either carrying yourself or having someone else carry for you to have children, you know, as time went on and we had more and more difficulty in pregnant, we started talking more and more about those options and what our comfort level was and our comfort levels have changed with time about different options, but we, we do those check-ins because it helps. And when I was breaking down early on, especially with the IUIs failing and feeling like, it was all on me because, mm-hmm. you know, you're the, as the woman, you're taking the medications, yep. you're getting the ultrasounds, you're getting the lab draws. Um, you're expected to do everything you can to keep your body ready for the process. And mm-hmm. when it fails, you feel 99.9% of the guilt. Right. Even though, you know, it takes two. Totally. hundred <laughs> percent to, to have a baby. Uh-huh. Um, and sometimes, I mean, I remember having conversations with my husband with like, how are you feeling about this? Like, I don't, I can't tell if you're upset, if you're disappointed, if you're sad, like, and that's when we start learning more about each other, how we support each other in emotional experiences, because he was like, I'm feeling it too. I'm feeling really sad. I'm feeling very hurt and confused and frustrated. And he's like, but more so when I see you feeling that way because uh-huh. I know you're taking it so hard and right. you're the one going through all of this. And I, he's like, I, I feel so bad not knowing what else I can do, what exactly. else I can say. And he was like, cause I feel like if I am telling you how sad I am, it's just going to make it harder on you. Right. And he's like, so sometimes, you know, at first he didn't want to show that he was really sad and upset. And he would just be like, okay, it's okay. We got this. You know, like he was like the cheerleader in the situation. Yes. But after the second failed one, he really let it out emotionally. Mm-hmm. And we really connected about how sad we were mm-hmm. and how hard it was for both of us. And it brought us closer um, to feel like, you know, I'm not the only one taking it hard and feeling really bad about this, not working. Like he is sad about this and he wishes there's more he could do. He wants to be able to express his sadness Uh and his, his despair in this process. And I need to make sure I'm allowing space for that. And I'm inviting those emotions from him and that I'm embracing it and, and supporting him as well. Right. Yeah. So it became a conscious thing that I had to do that to make sure he didn't feel like he could not be his hit, bring his full self to the table when we're talking about something so emotional. Mm-hmm. I think it's so good that you talk about this and that you're sharing that right now. And so many people are going to be able to relate to that because it's so like communication and in like you said, expectations and when, how long do we do this? And when would we want to pivot, you know, being like making sure you cover all those things I think are so important. And I think it was also one of those things where we said, what questions do we need to feel like we have answered before we can move forward with the next recommendation? Right. Yeah. So what happened next with you guys in terms of the fertility journey? So after the second failed IUI, I was actually really angry. Mm-hmm. Um, I felt like our clinic didn't have anyone there that would connect with me emotionally about the failure. Mm-hmm. Um, it was just kind of like, sorry, it didn't go well. Like it didn't, you know, work this time. What would you like to do next? Mm-hmm. You know, it was always like forward thinking, which now I can appreciate in the stage that I'm at. But at that point, definitely not with the response I wanted. Right. <laughs> I was just so bad. I wanted them to like wrap their virtual arms around me. It'd be like, we're so sorry. We know this is so hard. Yeah. You know, do you need time to process this? Or do you feel like you're ready to discuss your next options? Because in the very beginning, they had said three IUIs is their recommendation if you want to go all the way through all three. But that after that, statistically, it plateaus. Your chances mm-hmm. of being pregnant do not increase mm-hmm. with more IUIs. Mm-hmm. And after four or five, your chances of being pregnant via IUI actually do decrease. So in that plateau range, they kind of don't recommend doing it because they just don't, they don't feel like it's necessarily 
the most productive way to spend right. your time or money, which mm-hmm. I definitely appreciated up front when they showed us the stats with our age, our labs, all the things. Mm-hmm. We felt informed from the very beginning. But after that second IUI, I just like shut down. I was like, emotionally, I cannot do this. Totally. So we had actually, as a couple, agreed to take a break um, from all fertility treatments. Mm-hmm. And then I think what it was maybe a week or two after that, after a failed IUI is when they started sending out notices about clinic shutdowns and, you know, non-essential procedures being stopped and fertility treatments being on hold. Mm-hmm. And so it was, it kind of was just like, oh, well, it kind of works out in our favor, mm-hmm. you know, that we didn't put ourselves jump right into another cycle because it would have been stopped and we probably went through a whole nother emotional roller coaster that we didn't want. And so we kind of embraced it and took a very long break from it um, through the rest of 2020. Okay. And just continued to get back to naturally trying ovulation tests, you know, fertility friendly lube, you know, all the things, right. vitamins, all the things. Yep. All the things. I got my husband to start taking um, some male uh, fertility vitamins, just mm-hmm. like, you know, trying to do what we could. And then in 2021, we were like, let's take a bunch of vacations, right? <laughs> you know, for us, for our emotional well being, get out the house, do things that we've been wanting to do that we've put on hold for fertility stuff. And then, and then after that, we took put on hold because of COVID and like just really be happy. Right. Wow. We're trying to find trying. yourself again. Right. Cause I think you can get so yeah. lost while you're get when you get in the muck of this, you get so lost and you get just so nailed down by schedules. Right. Totally. Um, so that was amazing for us. Cause we looked forward to the year and just planned a bunch of trips. Um, but in the meantime, in the spring, I was like, you know what though? I feel like time is just passing us by and we're not getting anywhere and we're not getting answers. And I want us to still at least be putting in some effort and figuring out what's going on and how we're going to get pregnant. I'm uh-huh. just getting older. <laughs> right. Getting older. I don't like this feeling. Exactly. It's like, we talk about this a lot that time with fertility is so strange, right? Like on one hand, it's like crawling and you're waiting and you're waiting. And then the other hand, it's like flying by and you're like, Oh my God, another year's gone by another six months has gone by or whatever. You know, it's so, it's such a mm-hmm. weird time warp. Yeah. I mean, and you read all the, the books tell you, you know, once you're over 35, you're a higher risk when you get pregnant and mm-hmm. you're considered geriatric. I know. <laughs> I had a geriatric pregnancy with my son and it was, I was like, are you kidding me? Do we have to use that freaking word? Like, please. It's terrible. Cause yeah. it's like, it just makes you feel like you're not supposed to, you're not supposed to be getting pregnant after 35. Yeah, exactly. So I was like, well, you know, turning 35 and we're still not pregnant. I really think we should try to get some more consults. So I started shopping around a little bit more for other clinics because I was like, maybe, you know, we'll find a different fit, Mm -hmm. feel more connected. And my efforts were to try to find a black fertility doctor, black OB guy. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't. Really? Were you in Colorado? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's just non-existent. Um, I would love more black doctors Absolutely. to come out to Colorado. I know it's not an easy sell <laughs> because Colorado has, it's, it's got a lot going on. Yeah. Um, but I just, I feel like we would greatly benefit from having more diversity in our healthcare system because 100%. the population here is getting more diverse. It's gotten way more diverse in the past 12 to 15 years since when I was here in high school. Yes. Um, And I really do believe that we would benefit from having more representation of Uh non-white healthcare professionals uh, in in the provider field of, you know, nurse practitioners, doctors, specialists. Yep. um, yeah, because none of the fertility clinics have that right now. Right. So have you experienced the thing that I've talked to many women on this podcast about before, where when you go into a clinic and you don't see anybody who looks like you or on the walls, there's it's all white people and picture, you know, things like that, where you just don't feel like it's inclusive. Yes. Yeah. Yep. And how does that make you feel like what, what goes through your mind? Um, It's just like, it's 
it makes me kind of sad because yeah. I'm like, I know there's so many of us out here right. trying to navigate this and seeking treatment and seeking support. Um, it also reminds me how much of this is unaffordable for so many people and so many families. Yeah. Um, it also makes me feel like, I don't know, kind of isolated, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. if you walk into a clinic and everyone in the waiting area looks nothing like you right? and your providers look nothing like you, yeah. um, you know, it feels, you're automatically feel a disconnect. Totally. And so you're spending all this time trying to find more ways to connect. Right. And I'm, I'm, I'm happy with our current clinic. I do feel like I am treated very well there. I don't feel like I'm, you know, treated differently because of the color of my skin mm-hmm. or that because we're an interracial couple or mm-hmm. I don't get any of that energy from them. They're all very friendly, all very patient. They answer my questions. I mean, that should um, be the norm. Like the fact that that's right? an anomaly or that you're even like happy, you know, like we need to do better people, everyone, like it, that should be the norm. That should be the norm. That should yeah. be a con- constant and that should be normal. Yeah. I and was interviewing, um, you know, the comedian, Michelle Butow. She was on my show like last year and she was telling me she's in an interracial marriage as well. And she said, when I was there with my husband, I would get treated a certain way, you know? And then when he wasn't there and they didn't know who I was, they would like treat me totally differently and ask me to like mm-hmm. pay up front or like make sure I didn't leave without paying and like just clock her. And she was like, what the fuck? Like, this is insane. Mm-hmm. It's just so I'm glad that you got, you know, that she talked about that, that you're talking about your experience. Cause we need to know that this is happening and we need to do better. Oh yeah. And that would, that I can understand that being a problem and see that happening. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when I did these other consults with these other clinics, some was by phone and some was by virtual zoom but my husband wasn't present for them. Mm -hmm. And I felt like the one I did by video zoom, I connected really well with that doctor. But then Mm -hmm. when I went for my first appointment and I did go by myself, Mm -hmm. I was treated terribly by the clinic staff. And when I spoke with her a few days later, I had a call and put in a request to give her feedback and follow up with her. Mm -hmm. She was extremely dismissive, extremely rude was talking over me, cutting me off. And I'm like, this is my honest experience. And I'm coming to you to tell you so that you know Mm -hmm. that this is happening at your clinic where Mm -hmm. I felt like I was going to be welcomed and I was going to be treated well. And then I was going to establish care. And she did not care. And she was very patient blaming, like you this and you should have that. Like, I was like, Oh, absolutely not. Oh, wow. I'm so sorry. You went through that. That's just wrong. Oh yeah. So I, I quickly was like, we're not going any further. Like as soon as I got my results, I pulled those and was like, I'll hold on to this for when we find our next clinic, because there's no way I trust that person. I don't trust that provider. I don't trust that clinic. Mm-hmm. Like we didn't even give another semen analysis. Cause my husband was like, I don't want them mixing my stuff up. with oh, hell No, like, how do we no. mislabel. Like right? they asked me if I worked there or if I was sitting and waiting to get blood. I'm like, Oh my God. I'm waiting to give blood as I'm sitting in this patient chair. And I clearly don't work here. And I highly doubt you have that many black women working here that you would think you looked at me and thought I worked here. Are you serious? Right. Oh my God. I'm big on accountability and I, my career has hundred percent been in healthcare. Mm -hmm. So I know what you're supposed to be doing as a provider. I know the service I'm supposed to receive as a patient. Mm. And I expect that in any situation I'm involved in when it comes to healthcare. So when I'm disrespected like that, absolutely not. I'm not going to continue to pay for any services. I'm not putting myself in that situation. Yep. Um, and it was time to move on. So yeah. I got really discouraged after that. And we took a few more months off of even worrying about what we're doing when it comes to structured treatment. And mm-hmm. the entire time, I just felt like, I was like, man, we're just, I feel like time is just being wasted. Yep. Yep. That's I still have no answers. Mm-hmm. So wh- how long did you take a break and, and what did you decide to do for your next steps? So we took a break the rest of 2021 until towards the end of the year. I actually did an, a great consult with Laurel Fertility in California. Uh-huh. They um, do a lot of 
Instagram live work with other women in the community to talk about different aspects of fertility treatment and infertility. And I had done a live with them in the spring around the time I was doing all those other consults. And I remember thinking, man, I wish they were located in Colorado because I would definitely go to them for our treatment. Mm -hmm. Um, But one of the things I learned from the doctor when we did the mock consult on IG live was he was like, when it comes to unexplained infertility, unfortunately, especially on the path that I was on, he was like, you're very unlikely to get specific answers because this type of answers you would need, the in-depth testing um, and processes that would need to occur traditionally only occur in IVF. Right. Like Because the stages that it takes to figure out what's breaking down and keeping you from being able to get pregnant, he's like, Obviously, you know, you're ovulating, so that's not the case. Mm -hmm. But what we don't know is, are your eggs fertilizing? And if they are, is there an issue with the eggs that are fertilizing? Are they bad Mm -hmm. eggs? Is it bad sperm? He's like, given that your husband had a normal sperm analysis, like, you know, it doesn't sound like it's male factor. However, something's going wrong when the egg and the sperm are trying to meet. Right. Right. Maybe they're fertilizing, but they're not implanting. So is the problem in implantation? Right. Like, we don't know that until you go through the process of IVF where we physically take your eggs, right? we take the sperm, we put them together, we watch what happens when they come together. Yeah. And we can start figuring out what's going wrong there. Right. So did you have any hesitation about IVF or were you like, let's do it at this point? I still was hesitant, but that really pushed me to start talking to my husband more seriously about it. Because again, all the way up till then, all the way up till spring of 2021, we were no IVF. We're not spending the money. We don't have the money. We don't have the insurance coverage. Like we couldn't see ourselves sacrificing anything we had in terms of our lifestyle to be able to afford that. We wanted to still travel. We wanted to afford our mortgage. We needed to get a new car. You know, we had a list. Yep. But something changed when my husband was like looking at his uh, upcoming 2022 insurance benefits and with the Colorado law that was supposed to go through mandating fertility coverage, we felt much more hopeful. And I told him, I said, listen, this is the first time my eyes are really open to the fact that we, this is going to be our next step. Like we don't Mm -hmm. have other options right now. Uh So wait, you said supposed to go through, did it? Has it not? So um, they had some issues Mm -hmm. when it went to, Finally, it was supposed to be enacted and be active January 1st, 2022. And it didn't become active because there was an issue, I think, on the federal level with the language in the bill. Mm, Okay. It was something really tricky that basically made it so that it wasn't active. And now a lot of advocates are going back in Uh to argue the case to get them to update the language appropriately. My biggest issue, besides it not being active, was that the language in it still gave way too much power to the insurance companies. It Uh gave them way too many loopholes that they took advantage of. Right. So even though in 2021, the insurance companies knew that they were to create programs to accommodate the new law that was to be active in January 1st, when we got our new insurance plan, they were like, oh yeah, no, we'll, we'll give you some fertility coverage, mm-hmm. but it's a lifetime cap. Okay. And the lifetime cap is 25,000. Uh-huh. Um, anybody who even does a quick glance of how much IVF costs right. knows that you will get no more than one cycle out of that process. Yeah, and the exactly. law said it was supposed to be covering three full cycles. Uh-huh that it should have medication coverage outside of what your medication coverage traditionally covers Mm -hmm. for your fertility meds. It's supposed to um, uh, include, um, if I remember correctly, and I don't quote me on this, but I think it was also supposed to include some of the the costs for like freezing the eggs um, and some of the other processes involved. So it was supposed to be like one of the most comprehensive state mandated coverages in the nation. Mm-hmm. And that's what they were proud of. The doctors that sat on the, the committee to create this felt really confident that it was going to be super comprehensive. Right. Right. But the language still said that the insurances 
kid, you know, put in those coinsurance, put in those deductibles, put in those limitations, uh-huh. what's considered medically ne- necessary. And we all know that insurance companies do not believe that fertility support is medically necessary. It's right. odd that there's so many states that are creating laws that think that it's so important for a woman to be forced to carry through pregnancies, no matter how dangerous it is for the woman or for the baby. Mm-hmm. That they should not have access to medical care to terminate pregnancies at any level. Right. That we should not have access to birth control to prevent unplanned pregnancies. Yeah. Like, mm, you can't have it both ways. You can't be trying to make women get pregnant and carry unhealthy pregnancies, but not provide coverage, comprehensive coverage to ensure that they can do this safely. Absolutely. It's so infuriating. Oh my gosh. We could go off on another whole hour. (laughs) Just this, right? Like my God, my God. Again, we need to do better. We need to do Um, so much better. Yep. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. So you guys are on the IVF train at this point, right? Ish. Yeah. So talking about timing. So we got into our old clinic December again. Mm-hmm. So December 2021. Your month. We had our consult. Yeah. It's like, we just love doing this in the wintertime. Uh, <laughs> we got in for our, our IVF consult, specifically scheduled it as an IVF consult. I was like, we don't even need to talk about anything else. Let's just get straight to the point. Mm-hmm. Went in, you know, immediately got the labs we needed, got a calendar for um, January for when my cycle started, got put on the medications to prime my cycle, did my egg retrieval at the beginning of February. And um, now we're in the process with the whole genetics testing. And then I hit a road bump the other day with a hysteroscopy. Mm. And so you had one? Now I had a hysteroscopy, and what happened? which is very, very painful. Yes. I mean, I am angry when I think about the things that Did you not think it was going to through. be? Or like, did you? Oh, oh no, 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 no. Thought it would be painful because again, everything they say is not painful has been painful. Right. You're like, I know this right? drill by now. <laughs> I have a decent pain tolerance, but I'm also not invincible. And I know people, there's also this um stereotype that black women should be able to handle pain at a different mm-hmm. level than any other human, Jeez. but it's not true. Mm-hmm. We are all have we all have pain tolerance, you know, different pain tolerances. And in this case, my clinic, um, you know, said, you know, again, might be like bad cramping, you know, take 800 milligrams ibuprofen ahead of time. Well, I had read in some of my Facebook fertility groups about people's experiences. And they were like, if they offer you Valium, take it. Like if you can get something else, if 100%. you can get anesthesia, take it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we always say this in our fertility rally support groups. We're like, take the drugs. Take the Xanax, take the Valium, take you know whatever they are. Take it all. They yeah. Ask for it, and if they allow it, take it. Mm-hmm. So I had the day before got smart and was like, "Hey, do you have anything else I could take with this ibuprofen?" So they're like, "Okay, we'll get you a Valium as long as you're you have a ride." And I was like, "Okay, my husband will take me." Mm-hmm. I thought I was gonna be good. I, I took the eight hundred milligrams of ibuprofen. I took the Valium. I was yelling in pain on that mm-hmm. table. Mm-hmm. I was crying and deep breathing. Like you thought I was giving birth. Oh okay? God, I'm so sorry. It was so bad. And then, and I, and I know <laughs> if they ask for my feedback, I'm going to say, I know you're not one of the clicks that traditionally does this, but you probably should offer some anesthesia. Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> because this was extremely painful and a bit traumatizing. Uh-huh. Understandable. And I so the, you said this was just recently that this happened. That was last Friday. Last Friday. Oh my gosh, Danny. So what, okay. Did you get any results back? And what do you, how are you feeling right now? Like right this very Um. Moment? So they tell you the results right there in the room. Yeah. Like okay. they show you the pictures. They show you what they see uh-huh. and they found polyps. Okay. In my uterine cavity. Um, so uh, that's bad news in my case, because then they have to remove the polyps. So like, this is something that impacts your ability to implant. And we wouldn't want to move forward with a frozen embryo transfer until we remove that and get your uterus in tip top right. shape uh-huh. to be able to receive uh-huh. your, your embryos. So now in the process of them working through the insurance part and getting the schedulers to reach out to me so we can get this on the books that I can meet with the doctor. He goes through what the surgery is going to look like 
what we're looking at in terms of how much time this is going to push us back before we can actually get move forward again with transfer. Mm-hmm. I'm, I was very emotionally torn up about it that day and throughout the weekend. Yeah. But talking again to so many women in this community who've mm-hmm. been through it, who, when I told them that I had a painful experience, were like, girl, me too. Yep. Like, you know, I almost, the one girl was like, I legit passed out on the table from the pain. Like yeah. I've heard horror you know, stories. Yeah. Yes. Sad. You're God, like, we, it's sad that I have to connect with you. About this, that totally. we both know what this is like, but also a little comforting to know that it's not an anomaly that I was in so much pain. Like I'm not a problem for having this experience. But the yep. problem is that we're not provided the pain relief. Mm-hmm. Um, preoptively that we should be receiving for something so significant. So, uh, yeah. And a lot of women saying, you know, it was the best thing when they did have their problems. They're like, you know, I believe that that's what made the difference in me being able to have success with my transfer. You know, they're like, Mm -hmm. you know, if this is what your doctor's recommending, like, I feel like you should feel confident that it's going to make a difference. And so Uh I'm like, okay, I feel better a little bit. Ish. I know (laughs) it's so hard. And how's your it's husband hard when you're doing? Waiting. Um, he's good. I mean, he was disappointed too. He was like, I'll, "I'll be honest. Like, I do feel disappointed too. Like, I was like you, hoping that we could get through this without any roadblocks or any additional barriers or surgeries that mm-hmm. would hold us back, and you to have to go through anything else that's going to be painful." Because I think that's another thing that he's realized is like a lot of these stages I've gone through have been very painful, and he hates to see me in pain. Yeah. Um, and he's yeah. like, I just, I don't want you to have to go through this. Totally. But- I remember my husband saying the same thing and it was at the point where he was like ready to, to stop. I had secondary infertility. So I had, and I was like, would have done anything to have my second baby. And thankfully I did, but my husband at one point was just like, are we good here? Like, we're good. We're, we're good family of three, you know, like, and mm-hmm. he's like, he just didn't want me to, to see me going through so much pain. Mm-hmm. I think it's, that's really relatable. It's so hard for them to see us yeah. going through that and feeling really so, is. you know, hamstrung because they're not able to do anything to make it better. And all, you know, most not to stereotype, but a lot of guys are like providers and they want to make you feel better and make it better. And, you know, uh-huh. they can't. So they want to have the answers for you. And the fact that I did my own stim shots um, was another yeah. thing that kind of like, he was like, I just don't know how I can be helpful, you know, what else I could contribute. And it just, you know, it wasn't because I was like, no, I don't want my husband involved. We actually went into it assuming he would be the one giving me my shots, but the right. timing of the shots made it so that he wasn't able to. Uh-huh. So, you know, if I'm, you know, taking these morning shots and he's not home, I can't wait around for him to come home to do it. I got I had to teach myself and totally it you know, it worked out that way and it was fine, but, you know, being able to involve him in as many stages of this has really helped us stay connected and him truly get a better understanding of what my body is going through and what I'm going through emotionally Mm -hmm. and connect to that rather than being kind of like this distant observation of like, okay, I know my my wife's kind of doing these things, but I was like, no, I want you to see what it looks like when I give a shot. Yeah, like, get, oh, in I here. Watch again, but, <laughs> get in here. Get in here. I was like, I just want you to watch it once so you can see what I'm doing. And yep. then, you know, that way you understand when I say, honey, today is not the day. No, I'm not going to go shovel because I've been shooting myself up for eight days and now I have 20 eggs in my belly. <laughs> right. Oh my God. Yes. Oh. <laughs> so no manual You're labor. You're such for a me. badass, Danny. You're such a badass. <laughs> I love it. So tell me, okay. So you're at this point where you're still kind of in limbo, right? Your, your story has not ended. You're in the midst of it. What I'm right in the midst of it. I know you're such a bright light to so many people in this community and, you know, people going through this and, you know, we talked about the beginning on your IG, it says, you know, you help women thrive. So what can you tell somebody who might be listening right now? That's like down in the shit and like having a really hard time. Like how can they start, you know, putting, not that you can't be like that. And again, like Mm -hmm. embrace the bad moments. And I don't like toxic positivity at all, but if somebody needs a little words of encouragement or something that you wish you would have known when you first started out or things you tell yourself Mm -hmm. to get through it, um, I'd love for you to share something along those lines. Yeah. I mean, I would say it's a mix of things, you know, I know it's very isolating going through this process. And so it's up to 
every individual of how comfortable they feel disclosing what they're going through to their friends or family or even the internet world, but mm-hmm. choose choose that based off your comfort level and allow those people to be a part of the process if you feel that it's appropriate and that they can be that support to you and tell them how they can support you. You know, the friends that I let in about this were the kind of friends that were like, okay, so what do you need from me? Like, do we need to schedule happy hours? Do we need to, you know what I mean? Like, how do we still normalize that you are living your life and not, not let this take over, but also make you feel like, like you you can get out, you could do some things and enjoy yourself. And, you know, we're still here for you. Um, and, you know, reaching out and, and approaching people who have been through it, even if it's sliding into their DMs, be like, mm-hmm. Hey, you know, my page is private and I'm going through this privately, but I saw that you've been going through this and I'd love to connect with you. Like I find that people in the infertility community are the nicest, most friendly people ever. Hundred percent. Um, you know, mm-hmm. they're not gonna turn their noses up to you because you split into their DMs asking them about, mm-hmm. about their experience and, and trying to connect. Like they're the first ones to be like, Oh my gosh, like I'm sorry you're going through this too. How totally. can I be a support to you? Yeah. So to to say like it's okay to do that. It doesn't have to be a formal support group, but if you are comfortable with formal support groups, then yeah. definitely looking into yeah. different organizations and programs that are out there, whether they're free or paid. Yep. Where you can connect with other people going through the process with you, mm-hmm. and that can and walk you through some of the emotional roller coaster that you're experiencing, and connect with you on that level. Yeah. You know, be open to some things do get put on hold. You do make some sacrifices when you are in formal treatment, or even if you're just trying to maximize your fertility. Um, pre-treatment, say you're still in your natural cycles and trying to just maximize your health in that direction, um, you know, doesn't mean that you can't travel. It doesn't mean that you can't do date nights with your spouse if there's a spouse involved. It doesn't mean that you can't go and enjoy yourself doing things that you used to do. Yeah. Um, your life doesn't have to be on complete pause. Yeah. Still enjoy doing the things that you enjoyed pre trying to conceive because that's, what's going to keep you most connected with who you are and make you feel more normal while you're also feeling like the subject of an experiment. You know, Totally. <laughs> that's what fertility treatment makes you feel like, like you're in an experiment. Um, and yeah, just the little things, the self-care things, you know, self-care is such a big world that's words that can sometimes be intimidating where like people are like, oh, it means I have to like dedicate a whole day to like being in the bathtub or right. scheduling an expensive massage. Like it doesn't Not have even. to be huge. Right. Yep. It doesn't yep. have to be huge. And it doesn't have to be formal. I do enjoy sometimes making it be formal because then it's my me time and I can be like, no, no interruptions. Like, right. I've scheduled this formal time to be my time. And there's other times where you just kind of loop it in into your days. Right. Um, It could even just be a 20 minute walk around the block, you know, like it's just as long as you're like removing yourself from having these blinders on and thinking about just infertility, getting pregnant relation, you know, all that stuff. Yeah. Thinking, you know, it's always like, Oh, how am I not supposed to be stressed when this is stressful in itself? Yeah. And you tell me stress keeps you from getting pregnant. And then you just like kind of like ruminating in these thoughts. Yep. No. It doesn't have to be like that. Yes. Except that there's going to be stress that you can't necessarily take control of, but what you can control, that is where you really want to tap in and you want to maximize that. And you really, really want to hold on to those things because again, so many times in this process and the journey of trying to conceive, you lose a sense of control. Um, And it's easy to spiral and to become more and more depressed in those thoughts and those disappointments. So when you have those little moments where you have a glimpse of like what brings you joy, take that and magnify it and, and bring more of that into your daily activities. Cut out the people and the things that are bringing you down um, and embrace and bring in more of the things that you know when it's around you, you feel good, you feel healthy, happy, you feel healthy and really just be okay doing that and do it selfishly. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's your body. You're going through this process, whether you're doing it solo or you're doing it with a partner, like you deserve all the good you can get in such a challenging experience. So do not apologize for needing that, for needing space, for needing time, for needing 
um, uh, self-care, for needing a vacation, for needing to say no to things that don't bring you joy, um, to limiting, you know, any of the negativity that is unnecessary in your daily life. Do not apologize for that. All right. Thank you so much, Danny, for sharing your story. Guys, if you're not already, definitely follow her on Instagram at DWBella. And also, I wanted to let you know that our next Fertility Rally Live event is on April 23rd, Saturday. Uh, I had to think about that for a second. But it is a virtual event. So you can come to the event as it's happening and you can chat with people interact with the other attendees and the sponsors and talk to some of the speakers during their sessions. Or if you can't make it live, that's okay because your ticket gives you 30 days to watch all of the talks. So Ruhi Jelani, who is an RE at Kind Body Vios, is our keynote speaker. And then we have nine breakout sessions. We have an amazing panel of women called The Happy Ending I Never Expected. So we're going to be talking all about surrogacy, sperm donation, egg donation, embryo donation, and it's an amazing panel of badasses. So definitely check it out. You can go to Fertility Rally's Instagram for the link to buy tickets. You can go to my Instagram, which is Infertile AF Stories, and I have a link on my bio as well to get tickets, but it's an amazing day. There's tons of giveaways. We would love to see you there. Spread the word, and we will see you at Fertility Rally Live on April 23rd. All right. Thanks. I'll talk to you next time.